Well, howdy there, Internet people. Let's Bo again, and welcome to The Roads with Bo. So today is definitely going to be a little bit different. We are going to uh, talk about the roads to understanding certain dynamics that occur in foreign policy. And we're going to go through how certain strategies work and why different countries take the stances that they do and how it all plays out and how it all fits together and how sometimes the solution that everybody wants to employ it won't work ever okay so behind me on the whiteboard is a uh, well it's a mythical region I made it up none of these countries are real it's all fictitious but the dynamics that occur in our fictitious region here, they are real. They happen all the time, not just in whatever conflict you're going to immediately think of. It happens all the time. Okay, so first we're going to lay out the general geography of our fictitious region here. The countries that are most important are red and blue. Because red and blue, whew, they've got a long and bad history. Okay. We'll start with blue. Blue, they worship the moon. Okay. They worship the moon. They are a regional power, economically and militarily. During the last hundred years of conflict between red and blue, blue has come out on top. So it has elevated their status. They have more power, economic power and military power. They're also a nuclear power. They have allies, but their problem is that none of their allies are in the region. All of their allies are up in the corner on a different continent, represented by those two squares up there. Okay, what about red? Red, they don't worship the moon. They worship the sun. They're different, obviously. They, because they have been on the losing end of the fight, they're weak militarily and economically. They are not a nuclear power, and they have allies, to some degree. And it's basically every other country in the region. All the countries bordering red and blue, they're all... Well, they're more friendly to red than they are blue. Now, what are their goals? What are the goals that they want to accomplish? Red's easy. Okay? Red, they have been on the losing side. They've lost territory. They want that land back. They even have slogans about it. From the mountains to the hills. They just want the land back. Seems easy enough. What about blue? Their, their goals are a little bit harder to read because lately they've kind of been on the defensive. At least it seems that way. But they want what every other regional power wants. They're the establishment. They want the status quo staying 
a regional power, and they want dominance. Dominance, right now, so you hear that word and you're like, hey, they're the bad guys. Nope, don't do that. No moral anything. It's foreign policy. It's not about morality. It's not about ethics. It's not about ideology. It's not even about humanity. It's about power and nothing else. Dominance is part of that. You don't like the word dominance? Use national interests, economic stability, whatever term you want to use. It's all the same. So that's what's going on. Now, if the goal is they want their land back, why don't they just take it? What's the answer? They're weak, militarily and economically. They don't have the power, right? There's no way they can do it. So, what about their allies? Why aren't their allies going to help them? Well, Blue, they're a regional power. And they've been planning for this. They've been waiting for this. They're worried it's going to come. Because in the past, it's happened before. So they built their military to fight all of these countries at once. So, the nearby nations that are allied to RAD, they don't really give them enough aid to help. Some of them only give words. Some of them actually contribute military aid, but not enough to win. And we'll get back to why here in a minute. So, they have some military strength, but not enough to win. What do they do? They adopt a strategy that has been used for a really long time provocation. They provoke blue over and over again into overreacting it. Right now, there's somebody making a moral judgment. Don't do that. I promise you, one of your heroes used this strategy at some point in time, especially if you are somebody who likes the underdog. It's a strategy, and it, it works pretty well most times. The way it works is there's a provocation. So the, the reds, they go in and they attack. It's militarily ineffective. They definitely don't get any of their land back. But they cause an issue. So Blue responds. Sometimes Blue responds with just overwhelming force and it provokes outrage. So hopefully sympathetic turns to active for Red. That outrage helps recruitment. The problem RAD has is that really, even if they had everybody active, they still don't have the power. So who's their audience? When they engage in a provocation and they await the response, who are they hoping gets mad? Their allies. Because they can't win without state support. They need one of those nearby allies in the region to jump in on their behalf. Otherwise, they won't win. And they feel like they're making progress because when they engage in a provocation and the response comes, they see headlines. They see rallies, demonstrations. Even on another continent, even in 
blues allies countries. They're convinced that victory is right around the corner because eventually that outrage will be so much that their allies won't be able to ignore it. And they've been trying this strategy for about half a century. So why have their allies ignored it? This is what matters. The allies nearby, they don't want Red to win. They want Red to fight. See, Blue, being a regional power, they're also a competitor nation for every other nation in the region, to include all of Red's allies. But Red constantly hitting them keeps them off balance. If it wasn't for Red, Blue would be much more powerful. So all those allies, they don't want Red to win. They want Red to stay in the fight. So we'll stop here for a second and switch to Blue. Blue, what's their situation? They are convinced that Red will never stop. So they take steps that they see as securing their people. And when there's a provocation, they are more than happy to respond. And sometimes they respond with that overwhelming force. And they know it's going to generate outrage. But they also know that so far it's worked. And they think that if they can just do it long enough, just hit them hard enough in the right way, well, eventually they'll give up. If you can't win, you have to give up, right? That's where Blue's at. They just say, we're, we're, we're not going to be on the losing end of this one. And they keep hammering away. Now, we are talking about the governments here. The civilians? Oh, they're just caught in the crossfire. So, this dynamic has played out over and over and over again in different places. But this is where it gets kind of wild. In this situation, in our mythical region here, what happens if one day... Blue does something that is just so overwhelming, so out of line, that it actually creates the outrage necessary for the neighboring states to jump in. Because, I mean, after all, they all worship the sun. They have to stick up for each other. What happens then? In real life, Blue probably fights them to a standstill because they built their military to do that. But, let's say hypothetically speaking, something happens and Red and their allies, they actually break through and they start to cross into Blue's territory. What happens then? We talk a lot on the other channel about Ukraine. That's one of the conflicts we talk about.
And when people talk about Russia doing something so out of line that it provokes a NATO response, where does the NATO response always stop? At Russia's borders, right? Because they're a nuclear power. Because you cross those borders and then that country might view it as an existential threat. And they might let those things fly. In fact, if they felt like their capital was going to fall, if they felt like they were going to suffer too much in civilian loss, if they felt like they were going to lose too much territory, they absolutely would, just like any other establishment power, to include blue. In this scenario, red provoking along, finally gets the outrage, gets the allies, and then the allies start to win, they still lose. What about the other side? What about blue? They continually respond and respond and respond. Why doesn't that ever stop, though? What's the strategy being deployed by red? They're hoping for the response. They need that response because that response turns the bystander into somebody who's sympathetic and the person who is sympathetic into somebody who's active. Every one of those overwhelming responses is a recruitment drive for their opposition. But they don't view it that way. They view it as this time we'll be able to beat them. This time it'll really end, but it never does. Because the strategies and the goals that are paired, the strategy of responding, overwhelming force, paired with establishment, status quo, maintain power and dominance. That is a recipe that constantly allows for the outrage to be generated every time red engages in a provocation. Red, they're, they're trying to be the anvil. They are trying to be the anvil. Not the one who can you know dish out the most, but the one who can take the most. So they keep taking the hits, keep recruiting, and it continues. But they just get used as pawns by neighboring nations who really don't want them to win. Give them just enough to keep them in the fight. This is cyclical, and it never ends. This is one of those examples where there is not a military solution to it. There's no way either side can achieve their victory conditions using the strategy that they're using. Because blue, they're never going to get that status quo that involves peace. Not with that strategy, not with using overwhelming response. It'll never happen because they're just recruiting 
the next generation of red combatant for them. And red, red will never get their territory back using provocation. Partly because they don't have the power and partly because the people who do that are their allies, they're not. It is not in the allied nation's interests for them to actually win. And even if they started to in this situation, because blue's a nuclear power, they still lose. There is no military solution to this. You have to change the strategy or the victory conditions and what each side wants. It's the only way out. If both sides stay locked in, well, it just continues. As it has for the past hundred years in our mythical region. That's how it plays out. And it's played out all over the place. Normally, what actually brings it to, to a close, at least for some time, or it changes the victory conditions that one side is willing to accept, it's normally something pretty horrible. Think Oma. That's generally what it takes to bring a close to it. But it's worth noting that what actually brought the close was not the action. It was the change in strategy. It was one side altering their strategy or their victory conditions. This dynamic plays out all over the world. It's not just one place. Whatever, whatever conflict you are currently thinking of, the same scenario, maybe different root causes, maybe the, you know, maybe one side doesn't worship the sun, but the dynamics of the provocation and the overwhelming response feeding into each other all over the world, all over the world. And the only way it ever stops is when somebody alters their victory conditions or somebody changes their strategy. And normally that is prompted by something horrible. The bad part about that, the really bad part, is that the more horrible the conflict, the thing that requires it to change, the, the thing that prompts one side or both sides to change their victory conditions or their strategy, it has to be even more horrible. It plays out over and over again. And there are different little bits that go along with it. Things that are common are for the establishment force to respond from the air. 
keep their people safe because their establishment, they want the status quo. They're not trying to, to put too much out there because they have the power. They don't want to risk losing it. When you are talking about foreign policy, things become much clearer on why countries do what they do if you remove all of the talking points and just look at it through their goals, what their national interests are, and their power. Because it, it pretty much always gives you a clearer picture. Talking about it like this, it doesn't negate the horrible things that happen in these conflicts, but it makes it easier to understand. The horrible things that occur, they still occur, but this helps people understand it and hopefully if the leaders of Red and Blue were paying attention, they would realize that the cycle does not end. It just feeds. There is no end. There is no military solution to a conflict like this. You have little things that they can try, like realignment, which is where the establishment force removes leadership elements, leaving those who want peace or those who are not really good at not wanting peace, leaving those behind, but removing the rest. And that shifts, but that action, what does it actually do? It shifts the strategy that's being deployed. The military solution always leads back to either changing the other side's victory conditions or altering the strategy. This isn't, this isn't me. This is history. It's how it works. The sad part is the leaders of red and blue, the various red and blue countries all over the world, those leaders know this. They're just hoping that the other side will, will change their strategy first. That's why these conflicts last hundreds of years at times. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day.